it is not our goal in 10 years, 20 years, to be financially sustaining a ministry like this down there. We want them to be able to sustain themselves. It starts with an education. Uh, Jesus uh, came to give us life more abundantly. In Romans 12, he talks about renewing your what? Mind. I believe that sometimes we, we, we should audit, we should like spiritualize that. I get that. But your mind, it's your whole thing. So renewing it to know things that they didn't know before that they can then sustain themselves, a plan to sustainability. And so, you know, we're six years in. It's sometimes when you're trying to go in and read, you know, trying to what, teach an old dog new tricks, right? Um, trying to teach an old golfer a new swing. It, sometimes it just doesn't work. So you start with the kids and bring them up. And these kids, I've watched them grow from, you know, five, six years. Some of them have been in this program. And they're the future. They're the ones that can lead this nation to, to become not a welfare nation of entitlement, but a self-sustaining society that is changed through the power of the gospel and our minds being renewed 100%. So thank you for that. Um, I have two more announcements, and then we're going to dive into the word. I, you know, announcements, if you, how many of you do not, if you're a visitor, you don't have to raise your hand. If you're a part of Conduit, how many of you do not get the weekly email announcements? Raise your hand. Some of you guys don't. If you have an email and you're not getting those, would you mind emailing me, Darren Tyler at Mac.com or Darren at ConduitMission.org or uh, just go to ConduitMission.org. You can find my email address there. Email me so we can get you on that list um, because we try not to waste a bunch of your time with announcements because you're going to forget them anywhere. Right? I've told you there's these magnetic strips above the doors that cause you to forget everything when you walk out. They just erase your memory. So we try to put those in an email so there's less to be uh, like forgotten when you walk out the door. Um, but August 13th, which for those of you keeping track at home, is the next Saturday. Uh, Park Life Events, look, we have artwork, isn't that exciting? Um, is doing an event to raise funds for a homeless uh, ministry that's based right here in town, Lamb's Croft Ministries. A, a lot of times you think, well, I don't have any cash. Like, I can't give anything. That's awesome. Go spend a couple of hours next Saturday morning helping them set up. Um, spend some time in the afternoon helping them run point on the event itself that's to raise funds for an event or to, for the ministry. And Tim Reno, who is in the back, uh, would be glad to, uh, would you wave so they know who you are? Everybody knows you pretty much, um, is, is in charge of that. I would love for our church to step up. Joe and I will be sleeping on the ground in Africa, okay? It won't kill you to go Saturday morning and help set up. I'm just saying. It's so funny. My wife, so this is, the, this is my life now at the gymnasium. We work with a, uh, somebody who's been kind and generous enough to actually allow us to, you know, we've been donated a, a trainer, basically, which you're clearly not working for me, but for Shannon, it's fine. But the point being, she, last year, was on the treadmill, and suddenly feels this ugh, pain in her side, and she finishes the workout and basically finds out later that she blew an ovary, like while running, and finished the workout. Now, th here's the problem with this. I can't say anything now. Oh, my, oh, my heart, my leg hurts. Dude, your wife blew an ovary, on, and she finished the workout. I'm just saying I'm going to be sleeping on the ground in Africa. You can help, Tim. And you can help. Speaking of which, while we're on this, would you, would you stand up, Shannon? Yeah. My wife works like a rented mule every week nice. trying to get the, 
the volunteer. She's much cuter than a rented mule. <laughs> Who's the mule in this relationship, right? <laughs> With volunteers. I see her many times late at night typing going, oh no, okay, this person can't do it. She's literally, it's like a, a game of like connect, like trying to get all these things together every week. If you haven't had a chance to volunteer in our kids department, in our nursery department, yeah. greeters, um, the guy that walks around and carries my bag and hands me my Bible, that guy. We, we don't have one of those. We need one of those, don't we? No, we don't. Um, would, you, would you mind praying about it and seeing if, if, if that's something God might speak to your heart to help Shannon out? It would give her uh, one less thing to stress about at night when she's trying to figure out how we're going to get enough covered. We, and, the, and here's the thing. The reason she stresses about it is because she cares about it because she cares that our kids are taken care of. She cares that, that somebody's there to smile and, and welcome you, and she cares about that kind of stuff. So uh, maybe see her afterwards if the Spirit is leading in that direction, and I'm telling you, he might be um, to, help, <laughs> to help her out. So, and thank you, Shannon, for working so hard. Um, would you go to the book of Acts with me in chapter 20? Well, that was the longest announcement thing we've ever done, hadn't it? You're like, thank God we don't do that every week. Hey Joe, we were going to WD-40 that stool last week. Remember that? <laughs> it's like really loud now. <laughs> I'm sitting on a pterodactyl. <laughs> Acts 20 verse 1. <laughs> when the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, he said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He's leaving Ephesus, like wherever he goes, he, a little bit of, you know, you know, some people say, well, that guy's a riot. Paul caused riots. So this riot subsided and it was time to move on. So he had moved on through Macedonia. Now he traveled, verse two, through the area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people. And finally, he arrived at Greece, where he stayed for three months because the Jews had made a plot against him just as he was about to sail for Syria. So there was a break in that sentence. Let's start over. Because the Jews made a plot against him, just as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. And he was accompanied by Sopater. Don't you love that name? What a beautiful baby. Let's name him Sopater. From Thessalonica, there's, there's people from uh, Asia, there's Timothy, he's got this whole group, some people from uh, all over that he had been working with. And, and in verse six it says, um, but we sailed from Philippi after the feast of unleavened bread and five days later joined the others at Troas where we stayed for seven days. In verse seven, and on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. Some of you are like, I can really relate to that. Darren's leaving the next day. Yeah, I got news. We gotta, we're going until 5 p.m. There were many lamps in the upstairs room, and while we were, where we were meeting, and seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. Now, you might be able to relate to the long talking. I can relate to that. Now look, this is very dangerous. This is why I warn you not to sleep in church because look what happens to this guy. You know, this is, I'm, I care about you. This is, what, this is for you that I care. Don't sleep in church because look what could happen. He was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. And when he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down and threw himself on the young man and 
put his arms around him and said, don't be alarmed. He said, he's alive. And then Paul, I mean, I don't know, I probably would have thrown a party, but he goes upstairs and has some lunch and then keeps talking. It says, after talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. I think the King James says, and they were not a little comforted. They were like, no, these guys were fired up. This was awesome. And from there, verse 13, we went ahead to the ship and sailed for Asos. It's one of those words you have to be careful. (laughs) Where we were going to take Paul aboard. He made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. I love that. Paul going on foot, literally walking in the spirit. And when he met us at Asos, we took him aboard and went on to Mytilene. And the next day, this is almost like a Twitter feed, right? And the next day we went here, and then we went here. Pound, my dogs are barking. The next day we set sail from there and arrived for Chios. The day after that, we crossed over to Samos. And on the following day, arrived at Miletus. I mean, literally, boom, boom, boom. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia because he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem if possible, by the day of Pentecost. And from Miletus, verse 17, Paul sent to, the, uh, to Ephesus for the elders of the churches. And when they arrived, he said to them, you know, and he goes on to basically say, I've done everything for you guys. I have preached what I knew. I brought grace and Jesus Christ and revealed these mysteries to you. And I have nothing, no regrets. I've run the race. I have no regrets looking back on how I spent my time with you. And then verse 25, now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. And therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men. And he would go on to say that I didn't hesitate to proclaim the truth. And he warns them that there are going to be wolves that would come in and try to pervert the doctrines that he had brought to them. And as he's ending this, he says in verse 32, now I commit to you, I commit you to God and the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. In verse 33, for I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, verse 35, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, We must help the weak. And that word weak in other places is translated as sick or poor or those that are in need and are hurting and that you can reach out and help. We've done that and I've showed you that. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself when he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. In verse 36, and when he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. And they all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. And what grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. There's a quote by a guy named Mark Frost. And you might have seen this posted online before. It's from his book, The Match. It says that life is not a journey to the grave with the intention of arriving safely in a pretty and well-preserved body, but rather to skid in broadside, thoroughly used up, totally worn out, and loudly proclaiming, wow, what a ride. Mark Frost from this book, The Match. It's almost like he knew the Apostle Paul personally. Because you got to think that's pretty much how Paul had lived his life and how he ended it. And we know this from a couple of weeks ago when we talked about in Timothy when he said, I, I, my life is being poured out as a drink offering, which is the spiritual Jewish equivalent of a toast. 
this was a, to a great life toast to God. He loved his life. And you look at this life, and it was, I mean, pretty darn crazy. I mean, literally, he would wake up and go here and go there. The Spirit would say, go to Miletus. We'd go there. We were supposed to go to Jerusalem through Syria, but we didn't, so we're going to go north instead. Never once is he complaining about it. Never once is there even in the epistles or any sort of an indication that he was miffed about it. I mean, keeping in mind, he was planning to go directly to Syria. If you've got a little map in the back of your Bible, you could see that from Greece to Syria was a straight shot across the sea. And then he was going to go there and head to Jerusalem. And this little thing in the very first verse of, oh, but there was a plot to throw him overboard, so he decided to go back through Macedonia. And that was like a several month, several hundred mile detour that he went on. But he did it didn't complain. He actually would say in one of his epistles, I've learned how to be content, whether I have much or whether I have little. He went the way that the Lord had led him. I think, and I present to you that the reason was in Colossians 1, 27, and you don't have to turn there. He would say to the church at Colossae this, he would say that to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul was a guy that knew how to walk in the spirit. He was a guy that would wake up in the morning, and I don't know that he physically prayed every day, God, where do you want me to go? But he woke up certainly with an expectation that whatever his plans were, we had plans today that Kathleen Carnally would lead worship for us. Those plans didn't work. So what is it that God has in Macon, Georgia for the Carnallys, and what does he have for us here? We'll find out. We, we have an expectation of the Spirit working in the middle of our changed plans. But Paul would say that the reason that this could happen, his secret, so to speak, of the mystery of life, was Christ in him, the hope of glory. Now, unpack it with me really quickly. The word glory there. I know it's a word we sang. We sang this morning. Glory to God, glory to God. It's a word that I, I bet if... If I ask every one of us in here, what does it mean? We may all have a different idea of it. It might have some sort of ethereal, mystical thing going on. It's really quite simply, the glory that he's talking about here is the kabod, the presence of God. And in, in, in the, the original language, it actually is, it talks of a weight, a heft, a substance, an authenticity. And I say that because... He's saying that the hope of glory, the hope of you having an authentic life, of me having a life that is fulfilled and authentic and exciting and invigorating is Christ in you. He would say that it was a mystery. And the reason it was a mystery was because for thousands of years, they would go into the tabernacle. They would send a priest in there, and that's where the this was hundreds of years, sorry, that the, the tabernacle and the, the physical presence, the kabod of God would, would be there and they could be on the outside looking in, but they never really got to enter into it. In fact, the last time before that that a human ever encountered the kabod was Eve and Adam in the garden. And, and when that left, Ichabod, remember the word Ichabod, Ichabod crane? That's the word that means that the glory has departed. 
And Eve, standing there naked with Adam, the glory had departed. She did what oftentimes you and I would do. She tried to cover up and try to basically say, I have this hole, this emptiness. And so for her, it was fig leaves. For you and I, sometimes it's our job. It's our career. I'm going to try to cover up this emptiness in me, this thing, this desire for heft and for value and for meaning and for substance. Sometimes it's relationships. You go from you know, person to person and it doesn't work. And sometimes, you know, husbands, you're looking at your wife or vice versa and, and she's not fulfilling you. And I'm telling you, maybe it's because you're asking her to fulfill something in you that God didn't ask for her to do. It's the glory, the kabod that we look for, that we long for, that you can waste your entire life searching for, not realizing that the secret is Christ in you. And he would say this, that this mystery which, by the way, is not a mystery like, you know, Scooby-Doo, you know, at the end of the, the show, the guy turns out it was the gardener, you know. It's, it's, it, was, it was something mysterious that they had known about but couldn't quite understand, couldn't get their mind wrapped around. And Paul, the word mysterion is that now you can actually understand it. This thing that you knew about academically, you didn't understand completely. I took Ethan to see Captain America. It was, he thought it was the most awesome thing, the best day of his life. I was a little spooked because I'm, well, I don't know, it's, maybe it's a little old. Will he be able to understand it? Will he get scared? Will he? There were two times in the movie that he had to cover his eyes and look away. Both times were when they kissed. <laughs> he went... <laughs> Because there's this mystery in his mind of why would a man want to put his mouth on a girl? Ugh. Yuck. This is a mystery to Ethan that will, not too probably far in the distant future, be unveiled. <laughs> He'll be like, oh. The mystery that is unveiled in him is, is, is often... <laughs> is not unlike the mystery that Paul was saying. You could, they didn't understand it before. They knew it academically, but now they get it. And I, I bring it up because I think in us, we can, go, go to the book of Jeremiah with me. You, you're probably tired of me telling you to turn to Jeremiah 31. You, you've been around here long enough, it probably like actually falls open to that page or you've got it bookmarked on your Bible software on your phone. He would say that this is a mystery. Now to us in hindsight, we think, well, of course, this is how it works. These guys didn't understand that. And I think that sometimes it's worse for us because we think we understand it. And we go about our lives acting like we don't. Because he would say to these folks, to the people of Israel through the prophet Jeremiah, that look, I'm going to do a new thing in you. He said in verse 31 that the days are coming, declares the Lord, that I'm going to make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This, verse 33, is the covenant that I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts I will be their God, they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least 
to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. Gang, I'm going to do a new thing in you, he's saying. This external rules and regulations thing, the top ten, the, the, the policies and the procedures and all this external, I'm going to do away with and I'm going to make a new deal with you. And that deal is that I'm going to write my will on your hearts and on your minds. And this was a mystery to them. How on earth can that happen? That's all they knew were rules and regulations and policies and procedures. And he said, it's going to be different because I'm going to speak to you the least to the greatest. We're all on a level playing field now. And Paul would say, hey, that thing, that Jeremiah 31, that mystery is really simple. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. That God would become man. He would die, absorb the punishment for us. He would resurrect from the dead. He would ascend. And then he would send down his Holy Spirit. The book of Acts would call it the Spirit of Christ. Jesus would actually say, it's actually better that I leave so that this spirit can come to you. Why on earth? How is that possible that that is better? In Jesus' day, you had to get in line. You had to push through the crowd. You had to cut a hole in the roof. You had to, like you're at the donut shop, take a number and step aside. Do they still do that in places? No. You had to step aside and wait, push through. The Holy Spirit in you means we all have a front place in line. Now, here is why this is germane. Some of you are thinking, Darren, I know this. You've covered this before. Here's why it is germane to Acts 20 and to you and me today. I grew up in a, in a, in a great church. I grew up in a, in a, with a great loving pastor. I went to a Bible college where people loved the Lord. And somehow, I don't know that anybody told me this, but I, I somehow figured out in my head, at least this is how I acted, was that the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, was rules and regulations for them, and that God did away with those rules and regulations, and now I have a New Testament, a whole new set of rules and regulations and policies and procedures. I just exchanged the old one for the new one. That isn't what he promised. And, and I want you to really hear this, because what I'm about to say in the next few minutes, you could walk away and say, oh, Darren says don't read the Bible. You know better than that if you've been around at all. I mean, I, I mean, my Bible has clearly been read. We study the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse. I'm not saying don't read the Bible, but here's what you can't do. You can't make your trinity the Holy Father, the Holy Son, and the Holy Bible. And, and what I mean by that is that I can get into this thing where I'm going to here just to get my rules and my regulations and my policies and my procedures, and I spend my whole life trying to enforce those on me and enforce those on you instead of what he said, which is that the Holy Spirit would be in me and in you and that I could wake up every morning, every afternoon, for those of you that take siestas, and say, what are you doing now, Holy Spirit? What, what is today when the tire goes flat on the trailer? What is this, Lord? I mean, I'm bummed as can be, but you know, I meet Willie the tow truck driver and I'm like saying, okay, God, what do you want me to do with Willie the tow truck driver? We start talking a little bit and talk about Jesus and yeah, I, you know, every opportunity we have, just like Paul, this is why it's so germane here. This guy didn't wake up and read his Bible because you know why? He didn't have one. These people who turned the world upside down, this early church, this first generation, didn't have a New Testament. 
They had to depend 150% on the Holy Spirit every day, and they turned the world upside down. Now they did, at some point, would send letters back and forth that Paul would write, that James, that John would write. And what those letters would do would confirm in them maybe what the Spirit was doing in them. Saying, oh yeah, that's right, we're, we're, we're helping the poor. And look at what, what Paul had said here that we're supposed to, in verse 35, help the weak. Or it would correct them. Saying, oh yeah, this relationship I've had with this guy or this girl, I've, I've gone too far. And it says here that I'm supposed to flee fornication so I can know that that feeling, that conviction that I had in my heart was from God because it's confirmed here in the word in these letters, in these epistles that would later become canonized and become what you and I have today. He has called us to be following his spirit, saying, follow me. And we can go to his word. I go to his word every day. I believe it is God-inspired. I believe it's inerrant. I believe it's accurate. I believe it is necessary in our lives. And I believe that we can't replace the Holy Spirit component with the Holy Bible component. We can turn ourselves into theological porcupines in a hurry. I heard a pastor say this once. The, you make a lot of great points, but nobody can touch you. It's like, ooh, ow, you're sharp. Because it's knowledge, it's not the spirit. And the spirit leads us to do these things. And I'm gonna give you five things that I see in this vignette, in this chapter, that are benefits, that are observations of what happens when the Holy Spirit is moving in our lives. When we are like Paul, it says that he walked he made a rather arrangements because he was going to walk there. When he walked in the Spirit, you and I, it says in Galatians 5, that we should walk in the Spirit. What does that look like? What does it feel like in our daily lives? Number one, sooner or later, you're going to arrive. When you're walking in the Spirit, you will arrive at where you feel like God is leading you to go, but it isn't about the destination as much as it is about the journey. We can miss all kinds of opportunities on our way to do something that God has called us to do because we're so busy trying to get to Jerusalem in time for Pentecost. Paul had a plan. He wanted to get in that boat, sail across, and get to Jerusalem in time for Pentecost. This plot that unveiled in front of them took him months out of the way, hundreds of miles out of the way. And because he did that along the way, a young man would be raised from the dead. He would go through Macedonia where they would take up a generous offering for the saints in Jerusalem who were in need. Sooner or later, they were going to arrive. But in the meantime, and one thing that really jumped out to me was in verse 5 when it says that they took this journey and five days later they arrived. Why that jumps out at me is because just a few chapters early, they took the same trip in reverse and it took one day. Sometimes we're going to hit tough seas. And I say that because I know that a lot of us in here this morning are in some, some rough waters. And I want you to hear me say this, hear the Holy Spirit say this, that these guys were in God's will. It wasn't like they were out of God's will and now they're in a rough seas. They were right in the middle of where God had led them to be. And sometimes it's going to be smooth sailing and sometimes it's going to be a little choppy. Both of those are okay. Both of those, the Holy Spirit is in and can work in your life. Just relax and say, man, Holy Spirit... I am broke as a joke. What do you have for me today? The second thing, not only will you eventually arrive sooner or later, but you're in the meantime, walk is going to come alive. And if you don't believe me, ask Eutychus. This is a guy who was dead 
And the Holy Spirit and Paul led him to go pray for that guy. And he's, his walk came alive. Paul was alive. When you're walking in the Spirit, you're, you're literally going to come alive. Now, sometimes that means you're going to get jolted awake. I, I had a business partner for years, a uh, great guy. One of his uh, quirks was when he would nod off to fall asleep, he would sometimes awake, like sitting on a plane or whatever, he would awake sometimes very um, energetically. And it wasn't long after 9-11, maybe 2002, and everybody's still a little jumpy, we're all a little, uh, and we're on a plane, we're going to the West Coast, and I'm sitting up front, and this, it was like a plane big enough where there was a midway point, um, where there was a bathroom and a galley area. Now you can't gather there, and this is probably why, by the way. I'm sitting in my seat, and we're, you know, he's, he's a full-figured man, such as myself, and he's sitting here, and we're all kind of cramped, and I'm looking at this group of guys that are gathering that could have either been Italian or Middle East, had beards. I wasn't sure whether they were terrorists or Italians, but I'm, it's, again, right after 9-11, I'm jumpy. I'm like, oh, and so I'm thinking, I can take that guy, we can, and, you know, this is where my mind is, okay? <laughs> Chance does this. Ah! I'm not exaggerating. He scared the flight attendant. He scared me. He scared the terrorists. He might, for all I know, for all I know, he averted attack that day. But I tell you what, I was alive the rest of that flight. I was wide awake. So were the terrorists, so were the stewardess, so was Chance. Everybody's wide awake now, because we were like. Sometimes it's a little jumpy, but man, you're awake. We took my girls, we went to the holiday world last week because, you know, nothing like sweating all day, you know, outside in the middle of the summer. And so we're there hanging out. And at the very last day, a ride of the day, I finally convinced the girls to go on one of those wooden roller coasters with me. The legend, or I don't know, some name like that. And, and I've got video of them before. They're like, you know, you can just see them like shaking and they're all nervous. And we get at the other side. I, I look, I look, I'm looking at Lauren, whose face is this the whole way. And we get to the other side and they were like, was it fun? Yeah. And I asked him this question, if it weren't a little bit scary, would it have still been fun? They're like, yeah, that's a good point. That, that risk, that thing kind of makes you come alive. And sometimes the Lord is going to call us into a place that's a little spooky, that's a little freaky, that might involve sleeping on the ground in Africa. But I'm telling you, you become alive. It might be as simple as you going to that neighbor that you don't like and breaking the ice with him, taking him a cake, taking him mow their yard, do something that breaks the ice and it's no fun and it's a little scary, but I'm telling you, it makes you come alive in the spirit. Thirdly, you're gonna serve those that are deprived. In verse 35, help the weak around us, Paul would say. I bring this up because of this. There's a lot of need in this world and we encounter it every day. And here's why I bring it up, because he said to help the weak. But we can't go out serving just because there's a need. We've got to go where the Spirit leads. Not just because there's a need. There's needs everywhere. But where is the Spirit going to lead you to go? Just a couple chapters earlier, Peter and John are walking by the gate beautiful. And they see this man who was crippled from birth. He had said he sat there every day. And on that day, it says that he locked his eyes on him. It says that John locked, saw him. Peter, they, they saw him. And that you remember the story, silver and gold, have I none, but such as I have, I give unto you. And he, he rose up and walked. Here's why that jumps out at me. 
Peter and John probably walked by him every day. It says he was out there every day. Jesus probably walked by this guy. Because it wasn't the need, it wasn't the spirit at that, at, up to that point hadn't led them to do that yet. If all I'm going is from the book, I don't know whose need I'm supposed to meet because I'm not listening to the spirit and I could literally run myself, we could run ourselves into the ground as a church trying to serve everybody because we're going to try to serve according to the need, not according to how the spirit is leading us. The next thing, verse four, or number four, verse 36. I think that not only is it gonna be that we're gonna serve those who are deprived, but the relationships that are all around us are gonna thrive. Aren't you glad I'm a poet all of a sudden? I'm, I'm writing songs, right? As we, I think some class in Bible college, they tell you you're supposed to rhyme stuff, so I was trying that out. The relationships around us were thrive. In verse 36, we see that Paul set out for his friends from Ephesus, his elders. And these guys, he would say, we fought together, man. I, I gave you everything I had. We battled together. And what does it say that at a time when he was sad, at a time when he was a little, probably a little unsettled, man, his friends came around him and they loved on him and they cried together and they loved each other. When we are doing these things, when we're following the spirit together, the relationships, in our small groups, we're gonna have a meeting actually August 21st at my house for village leaders or those that are interested in maybe leading a village please, I encourage you to come. You can get information in the email that I'm sending. But in our small groups, I want more than ever for us to be serving side by side because as we're following the spirit, leading and serving each other, serving the community around us, the relationships thrive and that kind of thing. There's a reason why Marines want to be buried next to each other because they ward together. You get a relationship in a foxhole that you can't get in a living room. Join us in that journey. And number five, and we're going to land not only are your relationships going to thrive, but you, number five, have a freedom from having to strive. Paul would say, and I think it's verse 13, where it says that he decided to go on foot. Notice where the other guys went. They went on a boat. They didn't go on the way that Paul did because Paul wasn't putting some pressure, some policy, some rule on them that they had to compete with because the spirit didn't lead them to get on the boat. To, to walk. Paul was walking. They were taking the boat. I say that because we, in, in this environment, again, so Joe and I go into Africa. It's fresh on my mind. You might be thinking, I, I got to go to Africa. That's what people do. You go to Africa. Oh, but we got to go to Haiti. We got to get the school supplies for Haiti. Oh, but I got to pray eight hours a day. And then you're realizing, what, what am I supposed to do? Because everywhere I turn, there's all kinds of opportunities for me to do something. Go out of your mind, except for I can take a step back and say, Spirit, what are you leading me to do? I may not be called to go to Africa. That's actually okay. You can wake and say, the Spirit's not leading me to do that. That's awesome. No pressure. I don't have to strive to make that happen. I heard this taught by a guy, and it made so much sense to me. In Matthew 13 is the story of Peter walking on water, right? You remember this story? that he was in the boat and they were, the, they were waiting for Jesus and they ended up, the storm came and they had like a paranormal state experience and something walking across the water and, and they realized that it's Jesus. And in the account in Matthew 13, Jesus said, P Peter said, Lord, I wanna come to you. Not I, not I wanna make a big show, not I wanna go do all these things to you know, get attention. I wanna come to you, Jesus. And Jesus said to Peter, you come. 
And you've probably heard the sermon. I know I did. I probably even gave this sermon. That the others missed out that night because they stayed in the boat of comfort when they could have walked on the water. If you'll get out of that boat of comfort and lethargy and walk on the water of missions, world missions, that you too can have this experience. Jesus didn't invite James or John or the others on to the water. He said, Peter, you come. I suggest to you that if they walked on that water, they would have sunk like a brick because God didn't tell them to do it. He told Peter to. If you go to Africa and God didn't tell you to, you can sink like a brick over there because you're doing it just because the others are doing it. You're doing it because you feel the supposed pressure that I got to do it. There is so much freedom that the new covenant offers us and it's a freedom from having to strive. Man, I'm so glad that the Fadleys are going to India, that they're moving their family there. I'm blown away by that. My faith is inspired by that, but God didn't tell me to do that. You might be thinking, man, God is leading me to fast. Great, don't put that on me. You do that and let the spirit lead you and be awesome at it. And I'm gonna do what the spirit is leading me. And gang, that's the new covenant. They didn't have a new Testament, but they knew the new covenant. And that was that God would write his will on their hearts and on their minds. And every day you and I can wake up saying, God, what are you writing on my heart and on my mind today? What is that idea that when I think of it, it makes my heart jump? What is that thing I just can't shake? And so you may, I don't feel anything. Wake up expecting it. How long has it been? Is your walk like mine was, which is boring and predictable, dry? It is if you're just going to live it like a book. I think there's a reason why he didn't give like every chapter is like 10 steps to a new this. If you went to a Christian bookstore, you would assume that's how God speaks to us is in 10 easy steps. But he doesn't because it doesn't work. How many lists would I have to have? I'd have to have a book of lists. Okay, this is this situation. I have to do one, two, three, four. That is not what he called us to do. He said, I will write my will on your hearts and on your minds. And if the Holy Spirit is in you, we can be baptized in the Spirit. And when we're in that, that is when we are walking in the Spirit. If I am walking in this room and the Spirit is here, I'm walking in the Spirit. I can walk with the Spirit all around me, his will on my heart and on my mind, and that is what it means to walk in the Spirit. Paul, it says, made other arrangements for us because he was gonna walk. What is God calling you to do today? What is the Spirit leading you to do? You don't have to strive and do something that someone else is doing. You can look around and realize that, man, I can cause myself to come alive. And people around me, the Eutychuses in my life, cause them to come alive, listening to the Spirit. My relationships can thrive because we're following the Spirit together. We're taking risks together, listening to what the Lord has for us. And we can go to the Bible and say, hey, that's right, that's it. this is what God is telling me and it's confirmed in this. I feel like I should share my faith with my neighbor and the Bible tells me to go into all the world and to make disciples. It tells me that I should preach the gospel. That, that is, lines up with what's in the word. We gotta know what's in the word. We gotta know what he's telling us and then wake up and think, my Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, what is the Spirit saying to me? Is it confirmed? Maybe it isn't. Maybe it'll be corrected by his word. Well, he really didn't call me to do that. But I can go to the word and find it, confirm it or correct it, and let the Spirit lead me in my everyday life. Would you guys come and lead us in worship? I, I, I want you to think through 
with me that as a church, what would it be like if we were a church that walked in the spirit together? In our small groups, if that was part of what we're doing is, man, spirit, what are you asking us to do? If you don't have that life that God promised, Jesus said, I'll give you a life more abundant. If you don't have that, I encourage you to leave here today. When you go to the restaurant, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do here? Is there something here that I could do? And maybe there isn't. Sometimes they just went from this city to this city. That was it. And they went to Troas. And then sometimes somebody dies and you, they're raised from the dead. I mean, all these things are options. The impossible becomes possible when we walk in the Spirit. As a church, I want nothing more than that for us. Big or small church, I don't care. But can we walk in the Spirit together in our own community, in our schools, and in our jobs, in our workplace? I mean, I see what they did in the book of Acts with that. I believe that that spirit is still available to us today. As we worship, ask yourself, Holy Spirit, what do you have in me to do today? Spirit, are you leading me to give? Spirit, are you leading me to go hug somebody? Spirit, are you leading me to go take communion? Spirit, what are you leading me to do? And then what is it that comes into your mind and in your heart? I I don't think God sounds like James Earl Jones when he speaks. He didn't say he would do that. He said, I would write my will on your heart and on your mind. What is that thing in your mind that when you think about it, it makes your heart jump just a little bit? That's the Spirit speaking to you. Father, thank you so much for the Holy Spirit, for this gift, for this Spirit of Christ that is in us, the hope of glory, of weight, of authenticity, of substance in our lives. We have no hope without that. My job doesn't give me my hope My relationships, that doesn't fuel the hope in me. It's you in me. You said that it would be better if you went away, and now I understand why. Because you now indwell me. You don't stand around me. You indwell inside of me. Today, Lord, I ask that you would lead us and speak to us. Download your will into us. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe you should have a notebook with you. Maybe, you know, if the Lord, I tend to forget stuff. I I write sometimes because I I won't forget it, but just try it. Expect to hear from him. Expect what's going to pop into your mind that might be the spirit today. Expect it. Ask for it.